and it was a, uh, I read it and I, and I kind of had to read it again almost immediately to think, was that as good as I thought it was? And, and in fact it was and it's just, I, I, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just so kind of happy and kind of flattered and honored that someone should give me a script like this and a part like this because it's so, it's such a sort of rich and it's sort of, and, and, and sort of, I don't know, I don't know, sort of, I, I just, he, the fact that he's trusted me to do it is just such a lovely thing. Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's. One of vodka. Half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. This is why we did the podcast, Sam. This is why? Yeah. I thought the, the feeling that I have right now, because I watched it again today. Mm-hmm. This is this is why we do it. I thought Casino Royale was why. See, Casino Royale is probably my favorite of Daniel Craig's films. Mm-hmm. And that won't change, mm-hmm. no matter what comes out later. Okay. Unless he plays Spider-Man, which I don't see happening. Sure, but if he did, that would be like... An immovable force, uh, unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. Exactly. Daniel Craig is Spider-Man. Yeah. As Spider-Man Spider-Man or just a Spider-Man related like mentor character? Any Spider-Man character at all. Just if he adds himself to the MCU in any way, shape or form. Okay. I will be like Captain Britain is a possible character. We are on the record arguing for Captain Britain for Daniel Craig. That is known. <laughs> yep. There are also British versions of Spider-Man from different universes. Okay. And there's a lot of chat at the moment that Spider-Man 3 may like be Have everyone in it be a like a multiverse type thing which mm. would then lead to having the Spider-Verse take place in an MCU movie which excites me. Yes. I don't think they'll do it. They won't do it. It's 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 not like you don't think you don't think they're going to do the multiverse thing at all? No, that? they'll do the multiverse thing, but okay. I don't think they'll do Spider-Verse. Because that was a great comic book, but there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Right. Because isn't, but Spider-Verse kind of, doesn't it all derive from some, like ultimately the multi-universe aspect of it is all sprouting from some like world spider that lives at the heart of ev- all of existence. Yeah, the, is the web of, of life. Spawning all of the, yeah, different manifestations of the web of life. And it's like, you've gone a really long way from the completely <laughs> random chance of this kid getting bitten by a spider in a lab one time. Yeah, but it turns out it's not random. He was meant to be the Spider-Man. The yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. It's a good book. It's like mm. really interesting to read, but I wouldn't want to watch that because I would know that this won't sell to mass audience no one's going to be like oh yeah this this is plausible so yeah because they can just go with the more strangely like more relatable multiverse of (laughs) dr strange slash well it could have different versions of the same heroes from different where but you don't have to have like hundreds quantum realm Mm. kind of stuff as well yeah apparently we're gonna have we're gonna have garfield we're gonna have Maguire. I hope. They were all sort of strongly rumoured to appear in this film. I hope. I, I, Jamie yeah. Foxx is apparently actually signed oh, on yeah, to Jamie, be Electro. Jamie Foxx is confirmed, which I think is a pretty smart move overall because 
you get a lot of press for it and whatever happens, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. And also, Jamie Foxx is a very capable actor. Yeah. So I think in the hands of an MCU, he'll be a very good Electro. Yeah, but even if Electro is bad, no one will care coming out of that movie. And no, <laughs> no. one will. And Jamie Foxx is so likable, no one will hold it against him. Yeah. Everyone knows we're just having a laugh. Because we didn't hold the first one against him. But I feel like with the MCU now, because there's going to be such a long gap with, as we've, as everyone says now, with everything that's going on. Because <laughs> there's going to be such this this big unanticipated gap between the end game of it all and whatever the next phase is. Well, That kind of means everything is much more up in the air than it was before. You Because you're essentially going to be building this phase four from zero momentum instead of the little bit of momentum that would have been around after everyone's sort of post-orgasmic glow of Endgame. I think logistically, though, they've filmed Eternals and Black Widow. And I think Black Widow is technically Have they taking... done Eternals? I know Black yeah, Widow is Yeah, I know they finished go. it. It was supposed to release this year. I'm pretty sure they finished filming. Okay. Um, I know Black Widow was supposed to as well, but I don't think Black Widow counts towards a timeline thing. I think it's it's the first sort no. of spin-off. Yeah. Where it's it's its own well, thing, I would, which is yeah. exciting in its own. I would expect them to seed a couple of things into it you would think that so. pay off yeah. later. Like, like they never waste an opportunity to. And you can't when you've got the opportunity to use stuff. You use stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think Marvel's in the background or something. I think also now because they have the benefit of hindsight, every film they make will seed something that they know they're going to do in the future. Whereas. Mm. You can see things in, like, Iron Man 2 and then the first Avengers where they try to link something back to the first Iron Man movie. But they weren't thinking about a universe at that point because mm. S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't called S.H.I.E.L.D. until the end of the movie, but for everything else, apparently S.H.I.E.L.D. has existed since the 40s. Yeah. That sort of thing. But I'm, I still hold out hope that Eternals and then Shang-Chi, which they started filming, I think, and they've, like... I was excited for that. And I think I think I'm holding out hope that like once one of them comes out and the process begins and it starts and all the Disney Plus shows it'll keep the hype up. I think maybe I feel like now because there's going to be this massive lag time, we could all get into it again and we could just restart the engine and everything will be great again. Or we we it could it really could stutter and falter and we won't and we won't get it back. People won't get as invested. Partly because, like, Star Wars can keep coming back because it's got a very consistent, core, central sort of motif, imagery, vibe, and with the movies, and a, a core storyline. a fan line. base as well. Well, Marvel has a dedicated fan base, but it's kind of so vast and sprawling mm. that now most most of the main characters we coalesced around have kind of petered out. It's like okay, what are we all coming back together for? Well, I think that's what the I think that is what well, I would hope that's what their goal with the first couple of films is is just start quiet again because they've finished they've technically yeah. finished their well, magnum yeah. opus have, has happened, so now you start low again and you build some stuff in and then eventually in what four years time we have mm. another quote-unquote Avengers movie take place. Yes, we weren't coming together for Marvel. We came together for The Avengers. And so they need a new The Avengers. And weirdly, I feel like they caught lightning in a bottle once with that 
run of what 20 films and you're worried it won't happen again weirdly i feel like it's as much of a gamble now to try it again considering (laughs) how much you have to go back to square one of look these are just some some films maybe you like them maybe you don't maybe that's a overlaid by the now sort of weird complexity that's going to come out of things like spider multiverse and doctor strange literally called multiverse and whatever mental place thor ends up in yeah i'm very excited to watch all of these but i'm very intrigued (laughs) to see whether they gain the same global momentum they've had also of course because we have to wonder when the cinema going audiences will return and how much of them will get will end up getting put onto streaming as a last resort i thoroughly hold out hope that we won't lose cinema as a form of entertainment like we like yeah. it's my favorite place is to go to the movies. Yeah, I think I think reports of the death of cinema are greatly exaggerated. Yeah, but I think also the fact that technically the MCU now has to start again from from scratch and like they've mm. got to build their universe again. More so I than like it would have had to do already because DC is attempting to do the same thing and will keep attempting and fail. But the MCU, I figure, will just do well again. And write their movies in such a way that they all work separately and they all work together. Mm. And it's just a nice, smooth-feeling arc to their next big thing. Whereas I f- feel frightened again for the M- the DC universe to just be like, yeah, we'll do this. Oh, we can make money out of this one. Let's do that right now. Well, I think Marvel is going to have to try and build again from the ground up. But which, DC has given up on building, yeah, which I like. Shit. like. We're not building anything here. <laughs> we're just going to do a 50,000 Joker movie that makes a billion dollars. Ha ha, fuck you all. Then we're going to do this. We're going to waste gonna be a random. whole lot of money on an already released film. Yeah. But try and make it different. Yeah, we're going to re-release a shitty film we made before, but with some extra scenes. <laughs> and everyone's going to talk about nothing else for six months. So, and it'll ha, come ha, out on a streaming all. platform. So. We're going to do another Shazam probably so, so we can just do anything now See, we're going to do a wonder woman that connects to nothing that's still in the past i'm so excited and, about shazam though. and we're going to have Kristen wig in like a leopard onesie and even though cats came out we don't care we're going to do cats again but it's going to be the baddie of our wonder woman movie <laughs> there maybe she'll have a butt See, I think their crazy disjointed vibe of the DC, like the worlds of DC, <laughs> fits our age a lot more now than the sort of... You mean fits this year a lot better? Yeah. Because, because the, the like universe Mar- is the same right now, but it's, it seems crazy. The, Mar- the Marvel Universe where everything led to something and there was a identifiable n- narrative and there was continuity between one thing and the next and whilst things were in peril, things always kind of worked out in the end. That's much more an Obama-era narrative (laughs) than what we've been living through now. And now, as we speak, in the week of the election, (laughs) where we still don't have an outcome, where even even if now, even if the goody wins, the the goody that we still don't like, who is still an avatar of many things that are corrupt about the system, even if that one wins... It's going to be by a astonishingly small margin, and they've still lost the Senate, and so it's going to be incapable of governing. <laughs> that is a world where I'm much more in the mood of, let's just do something random and different every day, because there's no <laughs> point trying to read sense or logic out of any of this. The DCEU anticipated... <laughs> the nihilistic chaos of 2020. Well, I like, though, the fact that technically the world now has a villain. 
and he may not be a like a super evil villain. We he's do. just a villain that we can yeah. that the good. Well, no, he of, is a super evil villain. <laughs> the good of the world can get behind mm. not liking this villain. Now, I was watching a uh, thing on YouTube. Uh, what's it called? Some more news is the YouTube channel. Everyone Some more go. news. Some more news. Yeah, it's very <laughs> funny. Um, and they were ba- they basically put out a video recently, just pointing out all of the movies, especially in the eighties and early nineties, whose villain was very explicitly Donald Trump. <laughs> there were many, many movies, <laughs> yeah. especially around the sort of um, Gordon Gecko period of where Trump was more sort of just like a tabloid absurdity where the villain of every movie is a rich New York billionaire with weird hair and weird skin who just tries to, like, often, like, gets involved in elections and just buys the political system and is... (laughs) And some of them is, like, spoken at the time that, yes, this is a joke about Donald Trump. He's the villain of our movie. So... It's... Yes, we have a villain, and we've had him for a long time. I also... I'm quite terrified, back on topic of the elections, about how many votes he got, even yeah. after four years of them being him being in constantly the public eye. Yeah. Talking now, Australia time, 8.30pm on the Thursday, <laughs> it looks like Joe Biden is going to win. Yep. But I think he's going to, if it weren't for coronavirus, he would definitely have lost. I know that's and, so strange, and he's only winning because mm-hmm. of the kind because of the massive amount of effort everyone in his campaign put in, and lots of people on the ground put in, but also because of this kind of just passive name recognition he has, where any of the people who are probably more qualified and would have been more effective leaders if they've gotten in had run, they would have been decimated because most people don't know who any of them are. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what to do about that. Let's talk about something else. Shall Let's we? talk about something really fun and really happy. Should we try and take our minds off it? We should. Let's take our minds. Why are how, we how do you want this? to do that? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Exceptional Thieves. This is a podcast where Isaac and I review and rewrite movies. That's what we do. That's mostly what we do. Mm, we nothing just, else. We just review Literally and rewrite movies. Else. We're not thinking or talking about anything else. I'm Sam. I'm Isaac. And this is the latest episode of Craigslist, our special, short, limited, very limited, very short series where we are <laughs> watching and reviewing. All of every movie that Daniel Craig has ever been in, in the lead up to No Time to Die, for no reason, just because it's fun and because we are massive Craig Keistadors, as we assume you are also for listening. If you've been enjoying the show, you're coming into it quite late. I won't lie to you because this is the final. This is the, <laughs> this is the final theatrically released movie we have to review. We've got some TV movies still to come. There's more Daniel Craig content to get through, but this is the final theatrically released movie being released here on the free feed of our episodes. But we will be doing more things in the future, but not sure what yet. All of the social media information will stay the same. So if you want to stay connected to us, you can follow us on Twitter at ExceptionalPod or on Instagram at ExceptionalThieves or send us an email at ExceptionalThieves at gmail.com. And if you want to go back and get our big backlog of bonus episodes on Patreon, we're putting some more episodes up on there in the coming weeks. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash exceptional thieves. If you want to get the true overarching sort of theme and analysis of all of Daniel Craig's work, instead of the sort of snippets you're getting here in the form of the, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg, which is Daniel Craig in movies, then head over there 
for that. And here we are on episode 35 of Craigslist. Surprisingly a little amount for someone, for, for, for Daniel know. Craig, I don't know. theatrically released films. 35 is a lot of films, I, I think. I guess, but there think are people who have done more. Yeah, I know, but we don't like, respect them for it. You know, I respect John Hurt. Also, he's yeah, but I don't respect him for how many movies he was in. We're like, oh, what a great bloke! A thousand films. <laughs> that's that's work. Because I feel like thirty-five is the. M- I think that's at least that's two for most years. I think the most number of good films a person can be in is probably about fifteen. I've feel like even your big hitters like Tom Hanks, in terms of great movies, you're going to top out at about 15. Yeah. That's your average. That would be your average. I'm and whether you're in other people, but yeah. 35 movies or if you're in 100 movies, I don't think you. I don't think that changes. I mean, sure, it's a rule I just made up now, <laughs> but I feel really good about it as something that's being, being true. You know, they're probably... I think it's a rule... That would make sense for the last thirty years worth of cinema, but in the uh-huh. in the early days of cinema, when there were like five actors doing hundreds of films every year, then yeah. you'd have people who are in great films for the time mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, well, I think well, I, the last thirty years is the kind of that's the period of the movies that I'm interested in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I like movies. I like cool recent movies. You know, not those old weird movies. Where people were, you where know, it was like black and white, or they, you know, they keep singing all the time. <laughs> yeah. What else do they do in old movies? I miss musicals. Long opening credit sequences. Missed that too. Remember Gone in sixty seconds, and the credits are like going through the car engine and stuff. It's a good movie. Bond's kind of the only movies that still do that. Because they're there are, there beholden are, there, there are filmmakers who do it as a thing. Like, this is what I do now. Like, Quentin Tarantino does it. Yeah. start of a lot of his. But they do it because it's a thing. Like, yeah. this, nobody does this anymore. So, so the audience gonna... will go, ooh, opening credit sequence. Oh, oh. Wow. Nostalgic. Oh. I, I, I get it. If you it put it at the like start, film. people will think you're a good filmmaker. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, this guy knows film. Oh, he's, do- he's doing style. This guy's watched old films. He's doing a style thing. What do we so, watch? We, we watch... Bloody Knives Out. That's a movie right there. It is a movie, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. And we could probably just get into it. We should. I want to talk about Ryan Johnson first, though. Not a lot of Bond news. Um, Sean Connery's dead. That's Bond news. That's a bit of Bond news right there. Bond news. And now, a little bit of sad Bond news. Bond news. He's old, though. He was old. Hmm. That's an aged and man. And as with anyone who dies now, all the least seemly aspects of whatever he ever said and did gets brought to light on Twitter. So you have to sort of wait. We don't need to get into it. All I'll say is metabolize some of that, acknowledge it. But I, all I'll say on the the passing of Sean Connery is I'll refer to a tweet uh-huh. from uh, Phil Nobile. No- 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 Nobile. Nobile. Phil Nobile Jr., who's the editor-in-chief of Fangoria, which is a big horror movie sort of publication. And he says, George Lazenby opened the door to recasting. Roger Moore showed the role was open to different interpretations. And Daniel Craig might be rightly credited with making Bond vital again. 
but Connery is the reason we ever cared in the first place. True story. I think that sums it up quite well. That is a true story. I like that there were two people just completely forgotten about in that post completely. Yeah, well, you know, they didn't. And rightfully so. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like Dalton. (laughs) And I'm warming more to Brosnan Brosnan every time I sort of think about it. When I was a teenager, Pierce Brosnan's action films were the pinnacle of action films. You think it's more of like a 12-year-old vibe? Yeah. The Brosnan movies. Or like like a redneck father. (laughs) <laughs> you know, just dudes who want to blow shit up. You watch those Brosnan Bond movies, like, okay. yeah, this is James Bond. He shoots people. I think because we've been aware of Pierce Brosnan for so long, and those movies have been around for so long, you can kind of forget how cool he is, though. As a person. You know, as a person and as Bond. That is a hand I would shake. You know, he's I would grasp very it cool. Firmly. Okay. All right, well, just... Mm-hmm. Take it easy now. Mm-hmm. Remember, don't don't divert any of your sexual energy away from Daniel Craig, which is the real focus of this podcast. All right. Um, and other great news. <laughs> other great news. <laughs> the book is on the way. <laughs> oh, my pre-order of Daniel Craig: The Definitive Biography by Sarah Marshall. The updated version. I have received notification that because it's now so close to the November release date. <laughs> When the movie was coming out, the book is out. So I'll hopefully have... Oh, are you worried there's going to be spoilers? Do you reckon Sarah got inside knowledge on Maybe. the film? Are you going to have to like not read the last two chapters? She does spoil the plot of every other Daniel Craig film. In the <laughs> other, but any reader of the biography has watched them all anyway. So it's not You like, would think, but what so if she spoils play. something important? For the upcoming film. What if she to, has behind the scene photos? Do you ever do that? Like have to read carefully, like ready to stop reading at any moment? You sort I of have, squint and lean back? I've quite often read, like every now and then you'll read and something exciting is happening on the next page and your eyes will flick over and you'll read three words and then it'll spoil the page yes. for you. Like, damn it. Oh, spoil the whole page. I hate that shit. Oh, <laughs> I hate it. But I can't stop. Uh, well, there's a great book anecdote for you. <laughs> Spoil the page. Spoil the whole page. Page spoilers. So we're talking about Knives Out. 2019. Ryan Johnson. And yes, we need to talk about Ryan Johnson. We do need to talk. Because how, how do you go? And uh, these are probably not Very the good. only two Ryan Johnson films I've seen. But mm-hmm. the two that are important. Okay. Yeah. You make what is quite the possibly. The two that have been a part of discourse lately. Yeah, what is quite possibly the worst Star Wars film. Okay, yep. Which is saying something. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It's that saying something. But you go from that and writing and directing that to writing and directing this, which is fantastic. Mm. There's very little that could possibly be wrong with this. It's The soundtrack is great. It's filmed fantastically. The yeah. story is fantastic. The acting is great. It's so good. It's actually hard to come up with something to say about this film. I I have one negative thing, but it's not even negative. It's just but like, it, I would have said this line differently. That's sure. it. It's yeah. the only part. The rest, it's so but good. But not even critiques, just a take. It's hard to come up with, like, <laughs> what is there to sit down and say about it, apart from, yeah, good. It's good. Um, but he yes. made The Last Jedi. Okay, so yeah, we are... We talked about it. We are we are a anti-Last Jedi podcast but i'll just say for anyone who hasn't engaged in any of our previous last day discussions of which there are at least two 
on this podcast. Um, my take on it has always been Last Jedi. It's a big film with huge, with a lot in it. And I think a lot of it is good and a lot of it is bad. And I think it has critical failures that cannot be ignored, but it has, it has lots of strengths as well. It's not just shit end to end. <laughs> it has oh, lots about it that is, that is good, but I think I... Have, whenever I hear people's explanations of why The Last Jedi is actually wall-to-wall great, they are just ignoring some of the critical storytelling failures of the movie. And that, I think that's the important point. Any of my problems with The Last Jedi are to do with what we normally focus on on the show, which is structural storytelling elements. Yes. It's breaking promises that were made to the audience, even if some of them were made by a different director. And but it's you undermining... Sign on to an, you sign on to telling us... Yeah. And it's undermining just the rules of what makes the story engaging in a way that makes it not subversive, just disappointing mm. and actually nonsensical. That said, this this movie, on the other hand, manages to do the opposite of all of that. <laughs> it's a big story with a lot of stuff happening in a tight. Mm. And like it's Ryan Johnson, mm. I think overall. I think Ryan Johnson is someone who's very good at making, is very good at directing, and went like only just like thirty percent off track with the Last Jedi, with frankly catastrophic results in terms of the structural storytelling of it. Yeah, but because with this, obviously, great and his other things like Looper and Brick, and I haven't seen the Brothers Bloom. But he's directed three episodes of my favorite show, Breaking Bad, okay. including what is probably the best episode of that show, Ozymandias. So he obviously... Such a good name. Great name. And he obviously knows what he's doing. And the fact that he's written and directed this... It gives me hope because he's signed on to do an entire trilogy of Star Wars films in well, future. Is that still happening? Because that rattled around for a long time. And no, then everyone I'm pretty sure stopped talking signed about. on. They keep saying people are doing trilogies of Star Wars and none of them are. They said Ryan Johnson's doing a trilogy. They said the Game of Thrones lads are doing a trilogy. And then everyone hated Game of Thrones and that kind of went away. <laughs> I think I think the no, Star I think Wars... Ryan Johnson would do it. I think Ryan Johnson would do it. I think they would sign on to him. I'm not sure they would. I think they're pretty skittish now. I, I think... Reckon. With but, The Last Jedi response, the solo response, especially its financial response, and then the divided response to The Rise of Skywalker, I think they're going to be careful about what they do next. And I think especially the just the wall-to-wall adulation they're getting for The Mandalorian is telling them, do not rock the boat no matter what. <laughs> and you? so if they want to definitely <laughs> not rock the boat, if anyone's doing a Star Wars trilogy, it's John Favreau. It's not Ryan Johnson <laughs> again. Have you watched the new episode? Nope, still haven't watched it. Not I'm, bothered. Oh, not bothered dude. about it at all. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't care about The Mandalorian. You should. I can't see his face. Who cares? You get to see his face in one episode. Yeah, I know. How do you know that? Well, I watched the first season. Yep. And you loved the first season. No, I don't. we don't have to go. We don't have to relitigate this. We should. It's really good, Sam. I got into. It's like really good. I got into weirdly randomly that new Brave New World series. Okay. With old Han Solo in it. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly good. Okay, cool. I started watching it. 
I got into it. I, I'm like halfway through the series. Jump online. Cancelled. Cancelled after season one. <laughs> Definitely not coming back. I'm like, motherfucker. But, um, but it's still bingeable. You watch your watch. You watch. Season. Oh, yeah. 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 I've I'm going to binge it. And recently been rewatching Stranger Things for the fourth time. And still holds up. Still haven't watched it. I love Stranger Maybe Things. that can be what we do after this. We return to our idea of. We go episode for episode. I watch Stranger Things. You watch Breaking Bad, and we both make the <laughs> other one watch our favorite show. I think we have to wait for that though, because Stranger Things at least gets a season four next year. So Does we it have... st- I thought it was well. No, over. they've gone back to filming season four now. Okay, so that'll come out next year, and by then there'll be enough content to warrant doing each. Okay, because yeah, that will Breaking be Bad almost... is what seven seasons? Uh, only five. Okay, but the well last then... the last season is sixteen episodes. And then all the other seasons are? Uh, what, first one's six. The second one's like eight. Cool. And then, yeah, they're all, they're all different. But yeah. some of them are short seasons. It's not that much. It's probably like 50 episodes. Time. Once once there's a fourth season for Stranger Things, then we'll do that show. Okay. What a weird blend of fandoms that will be. It's very strange. You know, there's something in this idea. Yeah, because Stranger Things is great. And you just don't know this yet. Well, Breaking Bad is great. Yeah, I don't and doubt you that. you just don't know that yet. <laughs> Let's actually talk about the film now. Shall we? Yeah. Plot that, plot well, that shit. Well, Ryan Johnson. Oh, God. Did we finish Ryan Johnson? Yeah, I think we did. I think we, we finished with, mm. we know that he's a capable filmmaker because of what we're about to talk about. Yeah. And other things that he's done previously. Mm. But it, we it's... don't know who hurt him in the year 2016. Well, it's just it's just kind of fascinating. But you know, I think this happens a lot. Where to be honest, I think that there's lots of films out there that are bad and you watch them and go, that was shit. But yep. pretty much everyone involved in it is clearly good at what they do on the basis of other things they've done. Yeah. Other and Star Wars they've made. For example, with The Last Jedi, obviously all the actors are great, the everything about the I'd say the cinematography, the art design, it's wonderful to look at the whole time. Yeah. And in lots of ways the direction is Actually, if if you were handed that script and you had to do it, oh fuck, all right. How it's directed, I think, on set on the day, there's nothing ostensibly wrong with it. No, it's just the structural story elements. That, yes, the things that he the made that important that, in the story. And I and we could go into this more, but we're not doing it now because we've done it on previous episodes. <laughs> the only reason I'm not sort we of explaining this more, <laughs> more than I did. All right, um, but. But, so I think that's so I think that's why it you can do some you can do something like that and the fact that some, one thing goes ro- wildly wrong in some people's opinion doesn't mean that's going to happen with the with the next thing. It's fast. I we've said it before. It's fascinating he got that job at all. It is fascinating coming from doing not much. Yeah, well, to that he's done also, stuff, but following nothing on like from J.J. Abrams, who yeah. is known for making. That type of film, like you make massive movies and they're yeah good, coming from that and yeah, let's mm. pick this guy. Yeah, I think it's just the like it's a brave choice, but I, I well, think it was kind of the wrong choice. Yeah, I think it gets cast as brave a lot. Like I think studios have realised they get kind of credit for bringing in these indie-ish directors to do movies like What's His Nuts, who did Godzilla and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's artistically cool as an outsider to think, oh, yeah, I want to see what they do with a big property. But from the studio's perspective, they know they're bringing in someone who they're going to have to pay fuck all. 
and over whom they're going to have huge amounts of power. So they can make this. So if there's anything they don't like, they will easily be able to override this director. Like if you bring Christopher Nolan in to do a Bond, Nolan is going to do his Bond film. And if you don't like it, you can fuck off. <laughs> and that's probably why they're interested in someone like uh, Kari Joji Fukunaga, who's well known, but still at that slightly lower level of we can probably we'll still be able to exert our influence over him. So whilst it's cool. It's, I don't think it's like admirable what the studios are doing per se. They could bring in big name, bold directors, like bring Tarantino in to do the Star Trek he wants to do or whatever, and See, take the hit of we are going to have this director's vision realized instead of, of having this weird in-between stage. A lot of, of space feet going on. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine? How many space Lots feet? of zero gravity feet going on. <laughs> I just had a picture of Steven Spielberg's Star Wars. Yeah, well, like, why not that? Yeah. Why not approach him? Well, he was involved it's in the first hectic. one enough. Like, it'd just be so nostalgic to see him do a Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But they won't because it's way too expensive and it's too much of a commitment. Bring in little old, you know, Brothers Bloom fella. And uh, it'll, and because I think it, it works out enough that it's worth it. Like, it'll usually probably be okay <laughs> if the if there's a big enough team working on the script that it'll kind of get molded into basically the kind of thing we want. And it's yeah. and it's already bolstered by all of the mythology and storytelling that's gone before. They probably didn't imagine that something like The Last Jedi could veer off track as direly as it did <laughs> for so many of the fans. Physically. But we're not talking about that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Knives Out, and we're actually going to do that. That's just useful context. Yes. Knives Out, 2019. Ryan Johnson, written, directed. Do you like this film? Start like the chat it. off. Yeah. Do you like it? I like it. Nice. I like this film. I saw it in the movies. Not the kind of movie I would normally see at the movies. But I just heard all the buzz. And I was like, fuck it. This looks like a lot of fun. It just looked like so much fun. And was it? Yes. Yeah. That it meets those expectations. Yeah. I think... Yeah. Basically, there is very little to criticize about this film. Mm-hmm. And anything there is... It's pretty mean spirited to pick up on it because it gets so much right and it's so enjoyable to watch that even it's very, for the very willing or fifth to let time. all that go. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it's, it's like very it, complicated. It is very like mm, from the second go, I picked up everything. But when you watch it now, you mm. notice like little moments of film yeah. you're like yes, that makes sense for later on. Yeah, there are That's lots of really cool. That person's bits. reaction. They've mm. clearly read the script to react in that way. Yeah. I think I had a, an interesting aspect of watching it this time where I thought Emma would love this, oh. but she watched a bit of it and then kind of had to go off and do something else, kind of disengaged from it. And it's one of those times where like, do you want me to pause it? Like, no, that's all right. Because she loves like Miss Fisher's Mysteries and she's yeah. a big fan of that kind of stuff. And that then is is. I was watching a bit of it today with the director's commentary on. And she's like, oh, what happened in that? Uh, do you want me to tell you? She's like, yeah, I won't watch it. So I tried to explain to her what happens, <laughs> like what the, what the answer is to the mystery. So spoilers for Knives Out, everyone. And if you ain't seen it, turn us off yeah. and go watch it. Stop listening to this shit and go watch. If you could be doing this or watching Knives Out, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, and I tried to explain what happens in the storyline. And she was like, oh, it's too complicated. 
Like, it's too com and and it it if you explain what happens in this movie, it sounds quite dull and overly complex. It sounds it's not interesting to explain it. The crime in and of itself, like the actual what 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 happened and who done it, mm. is quite simple. But the tiny minute details that change your point of view or like explain mm. how it took place. To get to those, he yeah. needs so much complex storytelling to reach that tiny point. Yeah, but all the all the details that are overlaid over what actually happened in order to obfuscate it and make it hard to figure out for an audience yeah. makes it They all build very, it up to be so And I was like, great. no, it's not. It's Yeah, it is very complicated, but it is portrayed filmically in such a engaging sort of effortless way that it doesn't feel complicated to watch or when it is complicated you're enjoying how complicated it is because it's being laid out for you in this sort of clockwork fashion Mm. but it did make me think going through the plot of this kind of isn't that fun because you that's is kind of well it's also hard to do because there's so much happening and then you go back and do a scene at that same point in time yeah i go through the plot it's like trying to explain it's like explaining a joke you know you don't get it once you've explained it the little bits of um, where you learn more about the house or you learn mm-hmm. more about the geography of where they are throughout watching things. Why you would design this house and you have your little nods at your books that you've written, like the statue garden, mm-hmm. which is about one of the books that he wrote, or yep. the hidden window, because that's from, from a book he wrote. Why would you put a hidden window in your house that doesn't really go anywhere? Like, just they hide fun. that window, and you open that wall, it just goes to a window. I do You that. would have a ladder. You'd have something. Nah. If, I, if, I, if I was able to own a big house like that, I'd put so much weird shit in it. I'd put I'd weird put shit, but rooms. purposeful weird shit. I'd put, I'd put hidden rooms in it where when someone finds it, it really looks like I've committed a murder or something. <laughs> just, to get, just to fuck with people and or get like everyone really to doubt it. really weird symbols on the wall. Like, you're, yeah. you're, you're investigating something that yeah. makes literally no sense. I'd have someone over to stay, and I'd build in a secret room where... <laughs> It looks like I'm investigating them, and there's lots of pictures of them <laughs> with red string and stuff, and and like all just like pentagrams and candles, and have them find it, and then I find them while they're finding it, holding the candle, and be like, "What are you doing? <laughs> Time to go back to bed," and then I'd, just never mention it again. I'd have the room, but the question on the wall would be, "Was it Nicolas Cage? <laughs> <laughs> who who is Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Why is Nicolas Cage?" Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's just my Nicolas Cage theory room. Don't worry about that. And at the start of this conversation, this is my favorite Daniel Craig character. Wow, okay. I think Daniel Craig's performance in this film is, after now watching all of Daniel everything Craig's he's ever done. Not quite. We've got two television <laughs> films to go. This is my favorite Daniel Craig acting. All right. Should we talk about the Daniel Craig yeah, of it should. all for a little while? We should. So I think the casting of Daniel Craig in this role is very clever. It's so different. Because it's you don't see it immediately at all. I think he's playing a character who's a little bit older than he is. Mm-hmm. I feel like Benoit is more like a poirot sort of mid-50s I think he's supposed age, to be, yeah. But uh, he gets away with it fine apparently in the script he's just the character is described as having a slight southern accent <laughs> and daniel craig really ran with that and there's this um sort of civ- american civil war historian who's very famous who sp- 
speaks with that exact Mississippi drawl that he sort of found and modelled himself on entirely. I enjoy the accent, though. It does not have the overpronounced T's at the end of words. Okay. Like a lot of southern accents, when you do a southern accent, you'll put a T at the end of, like, not doing this. That sort of thing. Okay. But he doesn't do that. And Mm -hmm. I love that he misses out those little things to make it seem more realistic. It's so... And he's so good. It's a good accent. Arguably his best accent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he never leaves it. We've watched all his films. This might be Daniel Craig's best accent. He never leaves it. And... It's refreshing to have Daniel Craig investigating a murder without being an alcoholic police officer whose wife has just left him. It's also refreshing to see him investigate a murder when he's not a police officer. True. It's in, it's refreshing to have him investigate a murder where someone's been murdered. <laughs> <laughs> a murder <laughs> actually took place. That surprisingly happens rarely when Daniel Craig murder <laughs> mysteries, as we have discovered. Um, yes, that as well. And... It's good because he steers clear of a lot of the Daniel Craig tropes we've identified. Yelling. There's no yelling. No yelling at all. In There's this no film. crazy Daniel Craig yelling. He There's never also goes no to no overt sexual tension between him and any other character. This could be his only non like asexual character. Yeah. It's With great. the exception of maybe Tintin. <laughs> nah, there's still a, there's he's a got, vibe He's got there. a vibe, yeah. <laughs> Him and those two p- twin cops. Because here he's playing, he's, <laughs> like, he's weirdly a kind of like, grand, like two Anadamas. He's like a grandfatherly presence. Not even fatherly. He's, mm. he's like an older sort of paternal character. So yeah, he has a completely non-sexual presence in the film. With... Anybody. He, he never gets to yell and scream. He does a bit of... He raises his voice, but he's, he never gets to go crazy, which Daniel Craig loves to do. So there's no smoldering. There's no yelling. And so he has to find all these different gears, and he does it really, really well. It's so smooth. The first scene when he's in the background, just chilling in the chair mm. while the cops are having chats and stuff for so long, that's so cool. He doesn't yeah. say anything. He just sits there. Mm. And it's so good. When you know that it's him, you're just like, yeah, yeah. the tension just builds. You're like, oh. Yeah. Oh. So, this is you America's know, Poirot. If there is, any, and again, any critique we make of this is purely academic. It's not in any way implying the film is not a great film. But I think him, like when he's in the background there in shadow and he's a little, there's something kind of intimidating about him. Mm-hmm. And you get it a little bit later on when he's outside smoking his cigar and Anadamas comes out and finds him. I like a little bit more of that. where Because as a character, he's, he's introduced as being quite formidable. Yeah. And then the kind of joke is that gets stripped away and he's sort of, he's singing Sondheim songs in the car. <laughs> so and like it's, it's charming and, and lovely, but I think we do lose a little bit of the, I think, a bit more gravitas to his character that stays with him so that you don't quite know what it because that's that's the kind of Daniel Craiginess well, I think that could be in it could be in the role. There's kind of no Daniel Craiginess, which is fine ultimately. Yeah. But maybe just proceed in a little bit more that this guy could maybe lose it or he could do something really wild. I like or the he, fact he could find out who the killer is and not tell anyone. The fact that we get to see the, sh- the light and shade of the whole character as an audience but the characters in the film don't 
the characters mm. in the film only get to see the guy in the shadows at the background who comes forward and asks them very pointed questions about the fact that this man's probably been murdered and this very capable investigator going through their home investigating a murder. They don't get to see him sitting in the car singing Sondheim. They don't get to see him no. being charismatic at all or caring of um, Anna Dalmas's character. They just get to see this Mark. renowned mm. detective coming in and yeah. threatening their world. And I like that we get to see that he's not that. Mm. But I think... But I guess it takes a few watches to notice those things where... Yeah. I think it's, it's fun to see un, under the facade, mm. but I would have liked to have seen... You how, think how, they should have kept the facade longer? Well, just show how he could use that facade in, in situations. So, so, like, we know this is a kind of a facade, but show him put the facade on and then dominate and control a situation somehow. You know, And I guess he does a little bit, but at the end he's kind of just sort of wide-eyed and 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 ex- sort of very genuinely kind of bubbly and overexcited about having figured out the crime you know there's there's no there's no love, depth to I'd him i love like a poor character like that who's like super into it at the start but just gets really excited when he's got clues mm. like yeah yeah it's a mess right somebody died mm. <laughs> gets excited about yeah yeah Trapped i mean on a no, boat. it's still a, a charming character like when you look, when you watch this, and then go watch Murder on the Orient Express or the trailer for Death on the Nile, it's mm. technically the same kind of film. You've got your cast of characters who could have done it, and mm-hmm. you've got your amazing detective who notices everything. Yeah, but the vibe is just so much different. Yeah, and you can well, watch it uses this the so much easier. It 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 employs the tropes of the story it's telling against you as an audience so everything mm. is set up as a very traditional whodunit and then the fact that we just see whodunit at a certain point in uh, like Quite half an hour on, into the yeah. movie then when you real then when you come out of that and realize you're in a whodunit then you realize oh no daniel craig's definitely going to figure out what happened because the <laughs> detective always figures it out and now we don't want him to figure it out because <laughs> the person who supposedly did it is a goodie yeah so now you're and everything plays out exactly the same but with this whole sort of different perspective on it and then the fact that it kind of becomes a whodunit again at the end but it doesn't for us it only becomes a whodunit for him at the end Well, no, it does for us because we find out about ransom at the end yeah but that's right at the end that's not even like the third act yeah, but I mean, in the in the closing scenes, we've given up on the whodunitness of it, yeah. and it's like, no, actually, it was a whodunit this whole time, and you thought you knew whodunit, but you didn't. And if you watch it again, you'll see clues and now through the whole go. thing because the dogs didn't like him. Remember, the dogs liked everyone else, and that's why they barked, and that's yeah. how they know. I so. also love little lines like um, when uh, Marta has confessed to Daniel Craig and told the whole story. And she's like, when was the first time you knew I was a suspect? I guess the first moment we met. Because mm. you've got blood on your shoe. Yeah. And like, yeah, he's a good detective. And you do see him looking down. Mm-hmm. There's at least two shots where he pointedly looks down at the floor where their feet are and then looks back up, which is him catching the... the so many blood. little things. So that's very good. One of the cool aspects of this movie that I kind of found out about is the... Uh, cinematography of it so the cinematographer is steve yeldin oh, love who uh, yeah you know classic mm-hmm. oh no yedlin pardon me c- classic yedlin movie 
So he's basically done all of Ryan Johnson's movies and... Except, except for Star Wars? No, and Star Wars. Okay. And San Andreas and a couple of <laughs> yeah. others. But he's like low-key a genius, apparently, where well, like, this movie was shot on digital. Uh-huh. There's the big debate about whether you should shoot on film and digital and how things look different on film and light and everything sort of lands differently. And this and Yedlin essentially figured out that the way the reason digital looks the way it looks is not because of any inherent feature of digital film. It's just to do with sort of the mathematical formulae that are written into like the coding upon which the film is recorded. And so if you alter that those formulas, if you alter that math, you can change the way the image is recorded. And so you can make it look like it was recorded on film. So you can have more motion blur between things. Yeah, well, things like that. There's things like um, halation, which is the way when light comes through a window, it'll span out to beyond like the rim of yeah, the window. Yeah, you'll have halos. There's the certain the grain of film or the little particles that appear on each frame. There's the appearance to f- to film where the position of each frame is ever so slightly different which is really visible in like 1920s movies where they're like centimeters different between frames but even with modern film there is a like almost imperceptible but like almost subconsciously visible shudder in the footage that your brain picks up on and sees that as a difference between film and digital but Yedlin figures out how you can just code that into the way the digital camera (laughs) records film and so Knives Out is all shot on digital but looks virtually identical to if it was shot on film cool cheaper these kind of yeah cheaper and easier due to these and it's and better for the environment i guess yeah film's pretty bad do you have to is it you have to cut down trees to make film or make make it out of seals or something i don't know but it's plastic okay i guess plastic is bad yeah yeah Yeah, instead instead it can just all be in the cloud exactly that safe floating Cloud. So I think that's really interesting that Yedlin seems to have come up with this, done it for Knives Out, and I haven't heard it being done. Heard about it being done anywhere else. And there's this huge sort of cultural baggage around film versus digital. Like Christopher Nolan is like, film is like oak, and digital is plywood. <laughs> digital right, would be Nolan. the MDF, sharper, easy mm. to use. You can use it wherever you want, mm. and it'll be good as long as you seal it correctly. Well, I think this is a MDF is my is my is my go to. Uh-huh. Yeah. For your for projects. For your feature films? Yes, I I would love to build my films with solid MDF. What's MDF? MDF is basically timber but they use the off shavings of other milled timbers. So when they mill planks of pine or planks of oak or anything all of the shavings are collected uh-huh. put into resin and basically pressured into their own planks and it makes mdf which is fiber medium so density fiber yeah. i think is what it stands for and it's just fiberboard but it's so strong and it's really and it's not too expensive as long as you treat it before you paint it it can get the smoothest possible surfaces and stuff it doesn't have a grain so it's fancy plywood it's fancy plywood 
Yeah. And it will Sounds always like... be the same thickness. Like you'll never get warps in it uh-huh. until it gets wet, unless you treat it correctly and it doesn't get wet then. Kind of sounds like mechanically we retrieve chicken. It's kind of like the chicken of nuggets of of, yes. of timber. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Build out of that. I guess. Okay. Should we try and go through the plot then? I mean, no. Just quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Just quickly. Film opens. Dogs in slow motion, and the, the cello music. There's a shots of all the little. Anim- the animatronic, the automata dolls all through the house. Mm-hmm. This is a apparently a form of decoration called memento mori, where you, everything in the house is sort of designed to remind people of mortality and death and things like that. Apparently the Victorians were really into it, but they were really into all sorts of weird shit. Yes, they were. The friend, the housekeeper, finds the body. I love... That there is no shot of a slow motion falling tray. She doesn't quite drop the she tray. She doesn't drop that. She just. <laughs> I really noticed that as well. That's so cool. Almost drops the tray and then goes, oh shit, fuck. Because when she picks catches. the tray and she's carrying it, you're like, oh, she's going to drop that tray when she mm. sees that body. Yeah. Introduction of the awful mug. Such the, a cool mug, though. Oh, Such why cool does he have that? Because <laughs> it would have been a gift from Marta. <laughs> Seen in, back in Marta's. Kitchen. I love that Marta wakes up scared because this mm. is taking place after everything's happened. Yeah, and she we don't wakes know up why. terrified. I love that her phone screen is smashed mm-hmm. because poor. Yeah. Also, how the realistic conversation between her mother and the sister while the sister yeah. is just loudly watching stuff about death and murder. That show she's watching and the guy's yelling about a murder or something. That voice, Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> Cool. Is it an actual show? Or did they record no, it for the thing? They just wrote a, a thing and got Jessica Gordon Lev to do it. <laughs> That's so good. Because he's in all Ryan Johnson's movies. Is he? Was yeah. he in The Last Jedi? Isaac. Is he one of those people in the background that we don't know about yet? Yeah, sure. That's yes. I love that shit. Just to Is he Daniel Craig but for Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi? Probably. I'm Googling it. He's not in The Last Jedi. Well, he's in all Ryan Johnson's movies. Isaac. I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Look, we're, look, we're so close to the end here. <laughs> all right? No, we're, we're so, we're so we've, close. We've started, we've just now, an hour and something into no, this no, podcast. No, no, I mean the whole podcast. <laughs> ah. So <laughs> let, we don't, let's not do these over-little interpretations of what each other says at this late stage, okay? <laughs> let's just try and get, you know... A bubbly rhythm going. That's what people like in podcasts. That's why they come back every week to That's hear us. That's why about. they're here. Yeah. She gets called back to the house. We meet the thirteen reasons why chick. God, that show is terrible and like morally bad. Yep. And but she's Australian, so I'm glad she's getting work. Yeah, weirds me out that she's from Perth. Also, weirds me out that she's 24 and her name is Catherine Langford. <laughs> What are you, one of the Golden Girls? What are you talking kind about? Of weirds me out that anybody's Catherine, from Perth. Yeah, especially if people come from Perth and get famous. I thought you just retired there. Classic vintage 2020 move. <laughs> famous people from Perth. Like anything can happen now. And we get the interviews, and there's the first flashbacks to the party. Daniel playing, pressing the piano keys. So you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, you've got Michael Shannon, you've got that other guy who's Don Johnson, you've got Tony Collette. Returning to the Daniel Craig filmography, I think the only one. 
despite the massive cast. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone else has been anything. But I'm glad that she got to come back and do a good film. Yeah. Because yeah. no one was sticky in this movie. Something. There's no out Unlike of place Unlike that steam. previous film where there was lots of adhesive liquids. <laughs> I can never vibe with Tony Collette. And I don't know what it is. I think... Uh, like, you could say she's a very good actor because she annoys me in this and she's meant I to be annoying. Muriel's but... Wedding, which was the first, mm-hmm. that's the only time I really love Tony Collette as an actress. Yeah. Like, she's really good. I think I've, I've probably said this before, but she's one of those people who I just feel like I'm always watching Tony Collette do acting <laughs> rather than just watching a character. And there's something... Especially it's in probably this, just I me. found that too. Because it is literally, it's such a caricature. Mm. Her character is great, though. Mm. Like, I love this parasitic of woman that's part of the that family. Has, like, for divergent, no... has like divergent politics from everyone else that is on paper more ethically sound, but you know is also just more thoughtless. Not yeah. more thoughtless, but as thoughtless and reflexive and just based on just the superficial engagement with her own Twitter feed <laughs> and is in no way inhibiting her from stealing from people that are being her benefactor and things like also, that. Also, how terrible is the name Flam? Oh, yeah. what is what is care brand? Nugget of Flam. What is going on there? We guess that's a Nugget of Flam. And they're like, what? Oh, your skincare brand. Yes, Flam. <laughs> it's like a way of life. So she's kind of the Gwyneth Paltrow of the whole situation. <laughs> you yeah, know. that's what she is. You know, this is all... Flam. It's just it's just coded goop. This whole thing. <laughs> I think that so the the politics of this whole thing we should probably address at some point as well. And I think it's brought to the fore most by the sort of awful children and especially their interactions with Marta. She says to Daniel Craig, "Oh, I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you." Good lie. Which, in fairness, is how most, that's how most of us read stuff. Like, do, do mean, you know about it? I read the tweet about the article. Every about time it. I see a Sue thing me, about an article I'm busy. that I want to read, I will open the article and read it. I will open the article, leave that tab there for a couple of days, <laughs> and then be like, I came pretty close to reading that. I feel like I get the gist. <laughs> but then again, most of the things I want to read are about various films or video games or. Look, I didn't Arts read the article, <laughs> but I did click into the tweets. And I did read people's comments I mean, it's comments listed in my it. internet history that so, I read the article. You know, so, you know, when I die, let the record show, I opened the article. I mean, the NSA knows it, that I opened it. It was really long. Okay, look, I did, a, I did a couple of big scrolls in the middle of it, okay? It was like three clicks to get there. That's too much. I was into it's it for much. a while, and then I saw how small the bar on the side of the page was when I scrolled, and I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I've got a life to live here. God damn it, the New Yorker. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It was behind a paywall, okay? And as I'm not going to pay $7 to support journalism. How do you reckon a person gets to have Ben, whatever his name is? Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. The English man get, playing the Southern American character with a French name. How do you get to be that guy? How do you get to be a world-renowned investigator solving crimes? That is one of the great things that just not explained. Yeah. It's is one it of the not? great jobs that probably does not exist in the I've real world. N- I've never heard about a real one. No. I've never read a profile of a real investigator in a in the New Yorker. Like you've got 
so many literary characters that are that person. Like Sherlock Holmes is mm. that person. He's not a cop, yeah. but he's the investigator that everybody goes to. Mm. That person has to exist in the real world. We don't really have it now. We, the closest thing that we that we would get to that now is a private eye. Actually, I would say the closest thing we get to now would be lawyers for your sort of high profile true crime cases, like your Kathleen Zellners and people like that, who. It's not, they're investigating murders, but it's more in order to get someone out of jail. This is kind of like because we're we're at that new iteration of the system where now everyone knows the system is corrupt, and so the heroes are the people that are trying to rescue people from the machinations of the system. Mm. The Agatha Christie sort of era was was more like there's good people, there's bad people. Sometimes the, the people. goodies, the police officers, need some help in order to find the baddie amongst us, <laughs> you know. But the baddie amongst us is sort of an overarching ideal now. Yeah, now it's getting hard to tell who the good guys and bad guys are these days. And so... <laughs> but I want to be a private investigator. How often do you think weird murders happen in stately homes with lots of interesting potential suspects that... A private investigator could do if only they heard about it, but it never. <laughs> the it amount of books and movies would suggest a lot. <laughs> it seems to happen so much, and yet. Well, see, I've never spent any massive amounts of time in a stately home with a terrible family. So see, you gotta you gotta move in those circles. You gotta like... be on the stately home, terrible <laughs> family circuit, so that whenever a good murder happens, you can swoop in straight away and start picking up gloves with a pen and going aha. But on that point of view, I never want to live in a in a neighborhood like that with snooty people who think they're better than the world. Well, no, you don't live in the neighborhood. You are just house guests at these different places. And then you... You witness a murder next door. And then they sit around in the drawing room talking about stuff, and then you just stand by the fire enigmatically, and at a certain point in the conversation, they go, Benoit, weren't you in Korea around that time? <laughs> and you just have a sit and go, yes, I was. And then you give a oh, fun anecdote, a fun enigmatic anecdote that kind of points up some of the weaknesses of their sort of cultural milieu in a way that undermines them but in a way that everyone kind of gets a thrill out of kind of like a court jester and then you retire next day boom someone's dead i could write one of these you should we should film one but then it becomes a Actually, zombie movie well, halfway through is this you going to pitch another movie idea to me? Because you keep saying you're going to do this. Yeah, and I then... keep forgetting every time we finish an episode. Yeah, because I listen back to edit these and I hear you tell me to remember to... And then you never do. Because <laughs> we get late and I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I would have spoken to you about it, but I would have rather left. <laughs> I was, had really had enough of being in your presence. Could be a cool genre thing. Who done it? But then halfway through, zombies attack, and no one gives a shit about the who done it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but then it becomes a who done it at the end. This is the new genre. It's who done it, beginning and end, with different genre in the middle. <laughs> so starts who done it. Then it's all about politics, and there's a there's a submarine, and then it's who done it again at the end. I think space who done it is the way to go. Yeah. Well, that was our big rewrite of Geostorm. It's like, this is space who done it, but they've lost track of that. Should have been. Yeah. Wasn't. I'd, yeah. Have we had a proper space who done it? No. Um, I mean, the plot of the first season of The Expanse is kind of a space who done it. Okay. But any space who done it's become horror films anyway. 
because it's got to be the kind of space who done it where someone can get murdered but then the detective can get like shuttled in from outside <laughs> they can't be too isolated the plot of the expanse is thomas jane's character who we all know as thomas jane is the punisher mm-hmm. he, he basically lives on the belt the asteroid belt pretty much uh-huh. and a murder takes place and he is the detective investigating it they, they should do let's do law and order asteroid belt <laughs> it'd be so great and w- every week there's different space crime law and order mars <laughs> somebody's suit got like the helmet got opened in the middle of oh. the first one would definitely be someone's helmet somehow yep. opened mm. in a vacuum yeah they <laughs> The, the the guy loading crates who's too busy to talk to the detectives is trying to do it, but they just keep floating away. Like, <laughs> I got to do these crates, mister. I don't have... The guy loading yeah. crates, they're all doing a spacewalk, and he's just moving along the thing, and they're all bouncing beside him. <laughs> floating into the space bar. You seeing this guy? Yeah. Pours a drink, floats away. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, he was in here the other day. Why is everything in here like a normal bar? We're in space. Well, Space who's done it, but it's just the ISS. There are six people. <laughs> six episodes, last one. Like, well, it was you or me. <laughs> Did you do it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Just the first episode. Right. Who took the last vacuum sealed pack of caramel slice? Space slice. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Dun dun. <laughs> Directed by. <laughs> this is what that Space Force show should have been. <laughs> Space Force. <laughs> we are talking about the plot. Talk about Knives Out. <laughs> We're not really. I think it's because Knives Out is so good. There's nothing to say. As we we've don't said. really have to say anything about it. It comes in. I, so, and it, it's hard to come up with something to say that isn't just listing off the things you like. You know? Because I like the whole thing. And you know what else I like? I like when. I'll tell you th- the one thing I don't really love. Okay, yeah, that'll that'll sharpen this. Is up. wait, 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 wait. Um, Let's just say the things we don't like, and then we can stop. Yeah, and the, just have it be read that everything else is good. The, th- the only line that I didn't love in the movie that stood out for me mm-hmm. is after um, Marta has confessed, at, and they're sitting in the hospital and stuff. She says, "I didn't know she was a user about so Fran." Obviously, Marta assumes she's overdosed for some reason. She goes, no, she was trying to blackmail me. I didn't know she was a user. I think her reaction to that could be a little bit different. Okay. Because her reaction to the, no, she was trying to blackmail me. I think it suits Marta for her not to be vindictive about the whole, she was trying to blackmail me, Mm -hmm. and now I've tried to save a life and that sort of stuff because I'm a good person. But I don't know if that's the best line i can't think of anything better to go in there but i feel as though that's the only thing that sort of stood out to me like that's a weird character choice for that character to say that to be honest the fran stuff around the toxicology report and her death and everything Mm -hmm. after watching it a couple of times i'm still a bit vague on that where she because her cousin had a thing that had a like her cousin worked there and so fran saw ransom trying to retrieve the vials that he'd put there. Mm-hmm. She f- decides that he poisoned him. Her cousin works at the toxicology lab, so she thinks she can get the report and blackmail Ransom with it. Yes. Right? But she but would have then, read the report and realized that there was no toxicology. Yep. And been like, ah, oh, so he wasn't poisoned. 
Uh-huh. But then she meets Ransom in that weird place. Uh, so she um, blackmails him. She sends him a note that says, meet me here uh-huh. because I know what you did. Um, and then so she's there. He meets her and just basically drugs her. But that also kills her? Yeah, he gives her an overdose. Of some of something. The same thing that they gave. She'd also stashed the toxicology report in the clock. Yeah. I don't know. That's the bit She had to go back to the house at some point. Which is that yeah. that sort of last like the third quarter kind of gets a bit jumbly for me. And it's really important because that's what they get ransom for at the end. Yeah. I want I wanted someone to make more of a joke out of ransom getting a ransom. Note, like I know it's not technically a ransom note, but I wanted ransom. Is to his get a name ransom, ransom or ransom? I thought it was ransom. Let me. That's a weird rich person confirming. name. Yes, his name is Hugh Ransom Drysdale. That's why she says Hugh did it. Yeah, that's that. I think that's a cool stretch. How she Hugh did this? I think Hugh did this. You know, it's got lots of good twists in it. But the the problem then becomes some of those twists get kind of underserved because they're coming in this thick blizzard of twists. <laughs> and if they made a big thing out of, oh, what does the you did it mean? When it gets revealed to be like, I didn't even, I'd like forgotten that was a thing when we came back to also, the you did it thing. Why is the fact that he asked the help to call him by his first name, that's the reason he's an asshole? Like, you got the help to call you Hugh. Yeah, because he's an asshole. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> is it because yeah, everyone whatever. calls him by a nickname, but he goes, no, you can call me Hugh, which is my first name. When Daniel Craig comes in to participate in the interviews, he very effectively, like, he, he, he's seen where the tensions are and he needles them. So mm-hmm. he comes in to talk to Jamie Curtis and he refers to, you know, you're all self-made people um even your brother brother with his publishing empire and so he just knows that will <laughs> set them off so that's really good these are things we like yeah in a We're way things we like again. <laughs> yeah but i think it's it's strange in a way because obviously the film it's already beautiful to look at and it's really lush it is colors and set design and costumes and everything but it's also not it's also it's also sort of lacking in ostentatiousness in a weird way where, I think because the whole landscape and where they are is very dreary. But I just think in, in terms of the way it presents the characters and things like that, where the they could be... It, it's very careful in terms of how cartoonish it makes the characters. Mm-hmm. And it stops just short of where I think it would be very natural for them to go. And so what, what that kind of translates into is some of the some of like Benoit Blanc being a good detective because he is so subtle about it. Sometimes you can miss it as an audience. So I think he can, he is intentionally sometimes coming across as a sort of bumbling. Oh, don't mind me. I'm just a walk in the mud. I'm a, but when when you kind of know what he's doing you can see that he's kind of using that persona to trigger people and to get what he wants out of the situation yeah but i th- i only got that so much on a second or third view and I that's think not a the flaw, accent but... hides it a lot too because yeah. the accent is kind of a bumbling sort of accent mm. it's not something you'd expect uh sherlock holmes to have yeah he's v- yeah he's very sort of 
Because it's a he's, troll. He's trying. Yeah, he's trying to be unassuming. And there's so many good lines. And like, I like, I like one thing. I like. Uh, he says, <laughs> I, "I will be a respectful, passive, quiet observer of the truth." Of the truth. Oof. And just oh, That's so cool. you know, he's got you in this vice the whole time. You have a regurgitative reaction to mistruthing. <laughs> And so he finds out Richard. That's a uh, weird thing too. Yeah. Just that's a cool character point. Yeah. So she can't lie. Mm. There you go. This is why. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that I think that if that I would be tempted to do, whether or not it would make it better, is ha- amp up more the relationship between Benoit Blanc and the two police officers, which is the guy from Get Out. And the guy who's a massive fan of the books and everything. <laughs> love both the characters. And, and like a big fan of Hamilton and stuff. Yeah. I love Hamilton. They're both doing a huge... He, the guy from Get Out... What's that guy's name? Computer Enhance. Lakeith Stanfield. He... Oh. Yeah, cool name, right? He, <laughs> yeah. He calls Benoit Blanc Benny. The whole time, which I did, which I didn't notice the first time. So they obviously have like a bit of a working relationship. Them as sort of a trio of investigators, I think, could be cool. Yeah, might have like strengthened the spine of it a little bit. This film is is interesting because it is so good, but it is, it's good because one level. Like, well, I think it does. It it manages to get around what should what could very easily neuter it, which is that it's kind of spread across two storylines in a way. Where, like, the this archetypally, this story is a story of a cool detective character figuring stuff out and solving a crime. And whilst we get, and we get our cool detective character for a while, but then, as an audience, we're like, oh no, Marta is our main character, and we're following her and Ransom the whole time. And so, and while we're following them, we kind of lose our police officers and detective character. And it works out fine. Mm. But I think even I do remember the first time I watched this. I it's weird to remember how surprising it was that Marta becomes the main character because <laughs> it's obvious now we know that's what the film is. But the first time I watched it, like oh, there's. Jamie it's Lee Curtis and Michael movie. Shannon and all these characters there, and you thought she's one of this cast of ten, but no, the film is she's now the protag she becomes the protagonist like forty five minutes into the film. I and I it, think it's good though. It is, it's mm. good and it works. But again, if you were to try to nitpick I that think that could be a thing that you would. The way the way you could keep that first storyline going in a stronger way is to have because I think they really want to make a thing out of Benoit's connection to her. Yes. And so try to bring the film into that central story point. But they're apart for so much of it, and she's with Ransom for so much of well, it. Well, that's only after the verdict is read, after the will is read, which is in the second half of the film. So, like, they get to have... You get to find out yeah. she's your protagonist when you but know... But it just feels she- like where a lot of the meat of the story is, they're kind of yeah. apart for. Whereas if, guess, you have, well, if you have Benoit Blanc really bouncing off these... This like, other two like kind of real sort of double act police officers who I like I enjoy that one of them <laughs> Something is else could like. clearly be a super annoying partner to have who's just like mm. fangirling about all of this going on. Yeah, there's no tension between them. He's just like no. Lakeith you brush is just, it off. You're like, 
Yeah. Yeah, he's my partner. I respect Lakeith him. Stanfield's completely unflappable the whole time. And it's fun that he's also, like, is not an idiot. Yeah. It's not that the cops are stupid and Benoit Blanc has to save the day. They're making very, like, reasonable assumptions. It's only Benoit's able to see this ridiculously extreme storyline that's going on. So... I always respect that in movies where they don't do the, they don't look for tension in the obvious places, which is interesting considering how tropey intentionally this film is. It plays you know? at, and it is. It, I think I. It's just it a, a real maturity a in its mm. storytelling. I think His motives are weak sauce. Um, the use of once you find out that because Marta believes that she done it. And you mm. know that she's your protagonist now. You got to try and see her get out of this. Mm. Having her spend so much time with Benoit for mm. 40, 45 minutes from that point onwards as yeah. he does his investigation, mm. and she's just trying to hide things like mm. quietly uh, from him. Yeah. That's very entertaining. Yeah, that's a really good section, actually. Yeah. And that takes longer than I think, I think you think about it. The stuff she sends, she spends with Ransom is relatively small from that point. Yeah, maybe. Because she only spends time with Ransom after the will is read, mm -hmm. and then Benoit sort of like suspects her a little bit more, so she has to leave. Mm -hmm. And that would be a natural point to separate your characters anyway, mm -hmm. as if, if she's now, in our eyes, a suspect mm -hmm. to him because she has something to gain from the whole situation. When they do the big flashback about what actually happened, and then it comes back to her and she's being interviewed, and so mm -hmm. now you know... She can't she, lie. She can't lie, but she has to tell the truth in the in a sort of yeah. artful way. Oh, oh, what's your? Did you like the scene of Christopher Plummer telling her what to do? Uh, yes, this yeah, is I how did. you're going to do this. You're I really this, loved you're do this. I'm dead. One thing I liked is because he's a genius mystery novel writer, yeah. so he immediately comes up with the scheme of here's how you get away with this. <laughs> And it doesn't really make a thing out of it. But when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, yeah, of course he can think of yeah. instantly, here's what you have to do. Because this has been his whole life. And it's just cool. It's sad when you find out what happens. Mm. But it's a respectable thing for him to do. See, I, I think why I love the way it becomes a whodunit again at the end is when you find out that she kind of did it as all just a big mistake, mm. then it's just kind of sad and, and you're, you're like, just oh, hoping no, she gets away with there's no the accidental evil death. So then it's kind of like weirdly a relief to know, no, there was evil here and we're still going to get them. Yeah. There was a real baddie there this whole time. It's um, just sad that the, it was an actual suicide. Yeah. You know, an accidental suicide, mm. technically. And as, some, as someone with some medical experience... I don't think there is an imperceptible difference in the tincture and viscosity of <laughs> Toradol <laughs> and morphine. I don't think they ever specify what medical condition he has that requires these huge amounts of painkillers. But they do at least go to the effort of they, he has a what looks like a pick line in his arm. Okay. Which is a peripherally inserted central catheter, which is what you would need to have if you're having injections every day. You need some sort of line like that. If this was a shitty movie, they'd be like, "What well, time for your daily medications?" And she'd just be jamming a needle into his arm, <laughs> into his perfectly. Un but they go in, and it's literally little pinprick, like fifty of them. Yeah, daily. Because they just wouldn't have thought it through. But where would you like to today? Like, <laughs> okay, 
he needs morphine every day. This is the, he actually does have the med the the medical mm. access device that he would need to have. Because I was really looking out for that this time. Like, oh, well done, guys. <laughs> That's it's cool. not hard. None of this is hard or difficult or complicated to do. But movies refuse to do it. But you don't think there's you don't think you you think you could mix them up accidentally, or do you specifically check every time? I'd look at what the bottle says, yeah. but if you've labelled it wrong, then I will do it wrong. <laughs> yeah. There is not an imperceptible <laughs> difference in the tincture and viscosity. But for Marta, who's obviously a better nurse than you. Obviously better than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, after, it's all It's all just clear liquids, bro. After Benoit's speech at the end, and then um, once it turns out that Fran is alive mm-hmm. and... Captain America gets to do his big confession and it's awesome. The fact that she holds in that vomit for so long and it projectiles on his face, it's just yes, fantastic. That is fantastic. That's just a payoff to that one little bit that she can't lie. Mm. So she vomits on his face. How much must Chris Evans have enjoyed doing this? Oh, it would have been so much fun. Just being fucking Captain America for so long and then he gets to say eat shit over and over again. Eat shit, eat shit. Eat shit. You hear what Michael eat Shannon shit. says? <laughs> I will eat one, not one iota of shit. <laughs> Apparently he improvised that. Apparently Michael Shannon improvised a lot. He's really funny. And that was oh, just the line. so he, cool. I, will not I don't doubt that Michael Shannon would iota of shit. <laughs> um, I want to see Michael Shannon in more films like this. Yeah. Like, well, it's good. One comedy. of the Everyone in it is famous, but it's for a purpose. Because it means that it's not just a normal cast and then one famous person is obviously the murderer. Or one famous person is the detective. Yeah, well, yeah, but you don't have... What's his name from Dragon Tattoo? Daniel Craig? No, the other (laughs) one. Stellan Skarsgård. You don't have Stellan Skarsgård (laughs) amongst a crowd of unknowns. You're like, oh, I wonder who the killer is. (laughs) It's not just a bunch of people we don't know and then Michael Shannon. It's, well... These are all big actors, so mm. any one of them could be. And they're the all, I think, different levels of big actor as well. Yes. Because Catherine Langford is new to being a big actor. Mm. Like, she's successful on TV and she's new and she's put in with this massive cast of things. Like, I think mm. that's really cool yeah. to have your different levels of. Mm. And old man from Stranger Things. Like, everyone's someone. Yeah. And so. It, I think part of what makes the the viewing experience so rich is you really feel like there's 50 elements in this that we could have gone into further. All of these characters could have had their own storyline, was probably doing something off screen that was interesting, mm. but we just don't really get any of it. I think the son, Michael Shannon's son, could have been used uh, maybe in one extra scene than he was mm. and just shown a little bit more to be a racist yeah. piece of shit. The alt-right troll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the race aspect of this is really uh, interesting. Like, it's f- funny the way they all have a. D- they think she's from a different place. She's <laughs> Brazilian nurse. She's from Ecuador. She's from Paraguay. <laughs> all these like South American countries. I'm really <laughs> from Central America somewhere, guys. Um, <laughs> and when they essentially they start talking about Trump, essentially, and mm. they call and he calls her over to use her as an example of, you know, the good kind of immigrant. But in the flashback, his view his point of view was she's part of the family shows that same him calling her over mm. with no words. It's just 
a nice moment from the night of the party that he calls them calls her over to join in. Mm-hmm. But then when we get to see what actually took place in that little flashback, it's him asking her a very racist question. And even more powerfully than that, I think, hands her his plate while he's talking. Ooh. Remember that? He's, he's eating something, he calls her over, uses her as the example of the good immigrant, and then while he's talking, it just holds his plate up like she's the butler or something. <laughs> And she takes it because, you know, what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> and I thought that's, that's really, really clever. I see that there's weirdly um, there's so much stuff in lots of parallels to get out mm. in this of the, the sort of weird white family stately home. Like the old, like that same guy talking of like quoting Hamilton. Yeah. It's very much like, immigrants. We get the job done. Yeah. You know, from Hamilton. Yeah. It's sort of, it's very sort of. I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could, kind yeah. of thing, you know? And the fact that the oh, God. immigrant is kind of, she ends up in the situation of having supposedly committed this murder only as a, only really because her mother is undocumented. If her mother wasn't, was, wasn't documented, she could have called an ambulance and then the ambulance would have come and he would have, he actually would have survived because he would have been fine. Or, like, you know, it would all come out in the wash somehow. They only have to sort of act out this stupid Agatha Christie plot because in order to avoid the, you know, ice, the man. essentially. And so the fact that she... It's interesting. What do you think about that? The way it's basically this massive redistribution of wealth that occurs and she <laughs> wins and over through her, through her sort of authenticity, basically, and kindness overcomes... Well, the All thing of the is, evil though, characters. most of the "quote unquote" evil family would be fine because, my yeah. like, she owns controlling interest of the publishing company. Michael Shannon still has a job there at this point in time. He hasn't been fired. She mm-hmm. could fire him. Who knows? Well, but none of them are going to be poor. The other ones all have built things up from nothing, yeah. and that's what the family is proud of. Like. Um, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis's character has built her own company and she runs that mm. and she employs her husband who's apparently cheated on her so he gets his comeuppance but she doesn't need to get a comeuppance the only comeuppance she gets is she gets none of the inheritance from her father because yeah. she's a terrible person yeah so lots of them they're not being ostensibly harmed they're just their greed is being frustrated yes exactly and I think that's a really cool punishment to do where they just don't get all of this stuff that they thought they would get, and now they've mm. just got to live their own lives. Yeah, but if the if this Mar- is our house, if Mar- Marta's character <laughs> represents the like she's the non-white disenfranchised character who ultimately wins out at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and she wins out as a result of her strong personal qualities, mm-hmm. but she really only wins out because those are recognised by someone at the top of this corrupt system so it's only just by luckily the man behind the curtain yeah is a nice person which doesn't really track onto the way the world is it's not how the world works sadly so so in so really it's all kind the people of, in his position are mm. kind of like the instigators of evil yeah and so i get you know and it's not meant to be jeff. some some gritty fuck you jeff bezos analogy of of how of how the world actually is, it's more like a sort of fairy tale or fable. Are we doing Bezos talk? 
I don't have any up Bezos updates. I don't, I don't know, know what either. he's doing now. He's probably just frantically donating to Republicans and. <laughs> Oh, did, oh no, we're not talking about it. It's fine. What aren't we talking about? Bunches of people swarming counting centers. Bunch of, like whole bunches of Trump supporters are apparently mm-hmm. swarming all of the places where they're counting votes in places where Biden is leading. Well, yeah, you got to stop counting. Election day is over. What the fuck? <laughs> An election doesn't mean you count all the votes. It means for. 12 hours roughly we count votes for a while and then when <laughs> whoever's we, in the lead at this point and then when it's it when it's bedtime and when it's the when time it's, that i won last time when we all get sleepy <laughs> and want to go to bed we just stop then and then whatever the votes are that's the votes that's democracy okay so that's what george washington wanted so excuse oh, us um america so yeah it's more of a fable where Something happens that could never actually happen, yeah. but kind of would be nice if it did. So yeah. there's the way of reading this where, like, the house is America, and <laughs> you know the the empire, the his empire is America, and there's and so all these people who, yeah, are materially fine, are still aggravated and aggressive because and they can't harmful. Get this other layer because of their yeah they they they're not just desperate to be materially sort of sustained. They're desperate to have everything. have their power be continually expanding. Yeah, but doesn't happen because of Christopher Plummer. How good is the end? How well? How good is the parallel Plummer. between the will reading and immediately they all just start yelling at her when she tries to leave? Yeah. So much yelling, and then the same sort of shots as they're leaving. And they're all just like milling around, all real sad. Mm. Just like the sad. They've been at the end. Yeah, at the yeah, end. Yeah, it's all so silent. good. Yeah, I think. You know, there's the there's the woman who plays Christopher Plummer's mother, old yeah. Nana Harlan or whatever. Mm-hmm. That actor is like six years younger than Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. You're not going to find anyone older than Christopher Plummer to play his mom. He is ninety, and she is eighty-four. Well, you could get Betty White. But she's too nice. You would, you'd have Betty White. I bet they tried. Betty White would have been the character that Marta's like. You can stay. Bye, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You couldn't have Betty White in that role. So it's criminal to bring her on screen and not have her do anything Betty Whiteish. But yeah, you'd rewrite the thing a lot better. Um, Best judge. What is your thoughts adult. on the one line of foreshadowing about? Christopher Plummer in the flashback scene says, I have the the, the ability to, to tell the difference between a prop knife and one that'll kill you, like those little minute details. Oh, I missed that, that one. he mentions right at the start. And then having Chris Evans pull out a knife to try and kill Marta, but it's just a fake one. That I thought was so cool. Just to put that line in right at the start, it means mm. nothing. Like the dog's barking. And the dogs bark. You don't think about it until it comes back at the end, but that's something you remember. Yeah. The knife thing is a thing as well. Like, there's so many throwbacks. I like when the lawyer reads the will out and he yada, yada, yadas it. That's cool. That's cool. Just skip over the bit that's like three paragraphs of boredom. <laughs> Obviously, Chris Evans's knitwear is a real highlight. It is. Eat shit. Eat shit. That's a great highlight. I think this could be the best thing to happen to all of you. (laughs) 
the way in which it it toys with your how you're feeling about ransom is good as well yeah he seems like kind of a dickhead and then you think oh is he actually the only good one you know is, is but then he, you see him he's and then he he's he's for a little back. bit there the only good one but also in it for himself like he's doing the right thing mm-hmm. for selfish reasons. Yeah, well, he initially seems like, well, this this guy's he's the only good one because he's the honest one. Mm. Like he's not a good person, but he's being upfront about it. Whereas everyone else is, especially in their relationships to Marta, is kind of obsequious and they're all pretending they're they all want to go to the funeral. On, yeah. They're all acting like she's one of the family when yeah. really there are big barriers <laughs> up to her her sort of you know connection Being with them yeah. i you know you know you know what else i like Mar- <laughs> oh what marta's costume the whole time she looks like ron weasley her outfit she's got <laughs> like high neck sweaters collars. she looks like somebody who's not from a cold weather environment she doesn't living look- in a cold weather environment well yes it's also like very stylish like i don't think someone who's i guess kind of meant to be kind of poor based on where she's living and her phone is smashed she's got nice clothes but yeah the white obviously because nurse shoes but then like what's the kind of pants where the leg is wide you know what i'm talking about as in, like it flares at the bottom. Yeah, but not quite flare, but just they're just big legs. Bootleg. Bootleg, I guess. And you know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Pants. Very non-sexualized. Mm-hmm. You know. I don't Which think is... anyone in the film is sexualized, and I think no. that's really good. And it, like it, it kind of blows past you when you're watching it, but that is like I th- when you're when you've got Anna de Armas in your film, that's a real choice. Yes. To not dress her in a really kind of sexual way to to make a thing yeah this is obviously a beautiful woman but this film isn't about that this film is about her as a nurse as someone as a in a tough situation person. as just a character mm. you know and and i guess you you know it's also massachusetts that's how bond works too that's why they don't sexy up anyone in bond well, when you become a bond girl you're still a character well we'll see what she's like as a bond girl in the next bond film <laughs> Returning to the Daniel Craig filmography. I haven't been able to confirm it yet, but I'm pretty sure this played into that a lot. I think like Daniel Craig like got to know her through this. Well, he did spend a lot of time. And sort of I think that probably helped her sort of name go up the ranks as someone who could be good for a Bond film. But she would be good for a Bond film. She would be good for a Bond film. So good for a Bond film. Have you seen her in anything else? Uh, I've seen her in a couple of little horror films and a couple of that Keanu Reeves one? Knock knock, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Oh, that looked bad. It's oh, um, it's hard to watch because of what they do to him. Okay, so horrifically. Just the, okay, like the outcomes of what they do is so realistic. Mm, okay. In do are you ever going to watch it? No, but I am going to listen to the episode of Can't Get Enough of Keanu about it. Nice. Well, do you want me to spoil it before then? Yeah, go on then. Spoilers for Knock Knock. So basically the two chicks turn up. Knock Knock. And they sort of seduce him overnight while his family's away. And that's the yeah, gist. That's sort of like the the gimmick of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sexy then horror. basically he's tied up for the rest of the weekend. And they're just mm, torturing him for style. a while there. And the film ends with him buried up to his neck in the backyard just trapped in dirt, unable to move, and they put his phone in front of him and send a video of their exploits the night before to his wife and family on Facebook. And you just get to see Keanu Reeves, like, crying and, like, very, very good acting Keanu Uh being, like... 
So he doesn't die on often. He doesn't die on often. They just they just leave him there in the backyard oh, okay. the day before his family arrives and put up. Well, I wouldn't find that hard. That, stuff that hard to ruin to his life, and it's just well, just hearing Keanu. Sad Keanu is sad. Like, oh, it's, it hurts you because yeah. it's Keanu, and for yeah. so much of the film before they seduce him, he's just being a nice, genuinely nice father yeah, who loves well, his family. Just because Anadamas turns up at your front door doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Yeah, it does. I thought they were going to bury him up to his head in the dirt and then pour like honey all over his head and then put murder hornets on him. No, it's worse. It's a fate worse than death. It's definitely not a fate no. worse than death. <laughs> definitely not. No, it's just not if fun. you're like, watch. Sam, we could destroy your relationship or we could cover you in honey and put murder hornets on you. I'm like, I, I can talk to the person. We can rebuild the relationship, okay? <laughs> I mean, what if the hornets don't like me? That's what he thinks. He's like, maybe I won't get bitten by the the murder hornets. Maybe I'm the one who is immune. Keanu, you're not always the one, all right? <laughs> Would it be all another right. kind of rejection Can you think of an actor rejected who, by murder hornets? Who deserves to become a Benoit Blanc type character? Well, Daniel Craig's going to be the Benoit Blanc of the Knives Out sequel. Yeah, but... Which I want to call Forks In. <laughs> What would you call a sequel to this? Because it can't be called Knives Out because that's specific to the type of story that this was because yeah. the guy wrote murder novels. Yeah. Are, are they going to retroactively call this Benoit Blanc, colon, Knives Out? No, I don't think they will. Blanc Town. But you can't do a sequel without doing stuff. It has to be a That's play very on. true, I say. <laughs> it has to be a play on the words, but you so okay, so What's first he- question: Who who could be a, who could be a, a detective? Who like who? What other actors could you see as being these awesome charismatic detectives? RDJ is coming back as Sherlock Holmes. I'm told. That's the only other real mainstream detective we've had recently. It's just the Sherlock's and Poirot. You got Kenneth Branagh. No one. Okay, no one cares about that. Good mustache. No one so cares two mustaches about at once. There's a sequel. David, David Suchet is the definitive Pryro. Don't know why they're bothering. Sure, we'll put Daisy Ridley in. It doesn't matter. Kenneth Branagh. Yep. The Kenneth Branagh. Sir, Sir Lord <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. He directed Thor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stop doing all of this <laughs> and just be a Bond villain or something. You he know. could make He did a such a good Bond job villain. in internet. I don't know. I can't think of any good detectives. <laughs> Everyone who I can think of has already done it. Like Tom Hanks has I done think, the detective thing. Yeah, let's let's okay, let's go let's just go young. Let's, Ooh, go, let's go young. Nicholas Holt. Oh, <laughs> I, I fucking bet it happens at some point. He, it will. He, Nicholas Holt. I think he's in a lot less than you think. He's Nicholas in. <laughs> Holt is going to get to do whatever he wants for the rest of time. He's going to get to do one of everything. He's probably going to be Bond, and there would, there's just no stopping. There's no halting the halt. I feel as though he's in a lot less movies than you think. I he's feel in. like he's in so much more <laughs> than he should be. He's not though. And just. What's he been in in the last two years that you've seen besides... I haven't seen any of it. Besides X-Men, which is all finished now. He doesn't get to do that Did anymore. Tolkien, The Great. Um, the Great. The he's, Favourite, isn't he's he? He's in um, the um, Ned Kelly movie for a bit. Yep, he's in the Ned Kelly movie for a bit. None of these films I are cons- starring Nicholas Holt. He's just in them. Yeah, I know. Isn't that annoying? You like you. No, that's you less think, annoying. You if think it, you're free was, of it. You he- think you're free, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> boom! Four scenes in, Nicholas Holt rears up. 
I'm overstating this now. I actually quite enjoy him in The Favourite, and he's not that bad in Ned Kelly either, but just... He's a capable actor, he, but he's, yeah. not a, he's not a leading man yet. No, he's a character actor. You can deal with that. Hugh Grant. I could see it, although he couldn't. One of his eyes would be looking at a different clue for the whole movie. What? Hugh Grant has a lazy eye. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. But an energetic personality. He does have a very energetic so, personality. He mm, could definitely sing. Overcomes it. So Sondheim in the car while waiting for somebody. Yeah. And then realizes there's an ambulance behind. I love that scene. R- Ralph Fiennes. I could see it. I could definitely see it. Ralph Fiennes could have done this. Ralph Fiennes could be Benoit Blanc. He's b- could have, but you know, I think very Craig suits it better. Just Actually, the, no, I couldn't see the, Ralph Fiennes doing the accent. The comedy aspect of it just, for some reason, fits so good with Daniel. Yeah. And mm. I think it's because it's, it's accessing what's good about him, but working against his, his tropes, yeah. his performance tropes, which probably only we know about. <laughs> and all the listeners, all of the Craig Kistadors. Do you want Anadamas in Knives Out 2? No. He calls her Watson at one point. He she does. She has medical training. She is also very They're rich so now. They're so good. Yeah. But that, that that dictates that Knives Out 2 has to take place in the same location. No, it doesn't. They can go wherever they want. They travel you around. You think she's going to start working with him now? Well, she doesn't have to well, she work. She doesn't have a job. She doesn't have to work anymore. They're... She could fund his research. Yeah. The way in which it doesn't work is they're kind of too... They're not a Holmes and Watson because he's nice and she's nice. I think I think the trope that you could go down is every Benoit Blanc film, he gets a Watson. A new Watson, a, yeah. A new Watson. And he and calls the, them Watson at some stage. Yeah. And the next and one Andrew D. Watson. is played by Ben Whishaw. He can be a Watson. He can be a he could be a Sherlock. We just got to think of different beta actors <laughs> to Daniel Craig. But Ben Whishaw could be a Sherlock. Uh, yeah. Have you seen kinda. clips of him in Richard the Third? No. Dude can act. Okay. You like, I'm not disputing that. Like for serious though. Oof. Okay. All right. And I don't well, like me some. I don't really love me some Shakespeare. But no. Well, there's a time and place for it, isn't there? There is. And the time, but. Is when there's him. nothing else on, <laughs> and the place is English class. <laughs> <laughs> or when you want to feel as though you've studied drama. Yeah, or when you really... I've read all of his collective works. When you want to the impress bard. a date. When you want to call somebody the bard. Why do they call him the bard? Well, bard is just... A, yeah, but a he's sort of the a, bard. Yeah, but bard is just a writer like of sonnets and plays and stuff. And poets. And he's the songs. main one. <laughs> the main one. Yeah. Yeah. Selfish. He or they were, you know. You know Ooh, what I'm saying? Mysteries. You know what I'm saying? Okay, here's you your who done it. This is this is our the office. So court. The uh-huh. court? Yes. So old so the old office. Old time in the office. Old time of the office. Medieval the office. You have your spin off show, which is Law and Order SVU. But yeah. the court. Who doth it? Who who doth it? <laughs> who hath done it? Who hath done? <laughs> who hath done it? Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> and have a weird detective 
noticing clues and stuff that make very little sense and yeah. actually finding the yeah, proper keep, killer. Yeah, keeps noticing things or, like, oh, pig tracks. Or it'd be system. quite clear that he's incorrect all the time. Yeah, but it's <laughs> It old, was that guy. <laughs> but it's oldie time, so they just believe him and just execute people. <laughs> that character is in the court. And it's like, oh... I'm really struggling with this one. I'm thinking about just blaming a woman again, saying she's a witch. Because that, that always goes down. That's always a crowd pleaser, if I say it as a witch. You know, okay. you've got to find something. That's definitely a character I can't, that goes in. I need a scapegoat, but I can't literally say a goat again, because I've done that two or three times now. and they, We're running out of goats. If <laughs> it was else. a curse. Yeah. It was a curse. It was. He names a curse. Don't, you've never heard of that curse? Of the... Of the, the Harrow curse, the cur- the, cur- the 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 falling downstairs curse. It's very it's, it's very common on Saturday nights. <laughs> um, anything else we've got to say about knives? Out? I don't think so. I like the hole within a hole thing. I like, and he calls it a donut. I like <laughs> that was the dumbest car chase of all time. <laughs> There's so much good about it. I like that he says that, and before he says that, you're like this is a really silly slow car chase. <laughs> Just. And in a really shitty slow car. I enjoy that she got away and she parks behind the building. It's like, it's yeah. Okay. And then they All just right. pull in next to her. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? I like um, to picture them outside the driveway of where they've gone. Like, is she coming back? Like, hmm. that's a dead end. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we should go in. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just good. Really? It's just the, 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 the pacing is a kind of like invisible strength of this movie. Mm. Like it's just so pacey and tight that even when you're it not really... It doesn't feel fast, but no. it's, it and, never and, lets you sit. And how long is it? Because I think it could it be longer. It is almost two hours. It's like just like one minute under what two hours. It? Yeah, so, so uh, 130. So with credits, it's like two hours on the dot basically. And it could it could go a little bit longer, I think. I, you know, and I don't know if that would slow it down and make it feel sort of more lumbering than it needs to. But because there's so many rich characters in there, you kind of feel cheated because you want more of everyone in it. Mm. For me, especially the police officers. This like, would have made a cool three-part miniseries or a ten-part. Yeah. That this is what we say ben about well, everything. I know, everything I know. good. When you want more, everything good. It we're makes like a make good eight-part series for Netflix. Yeah. But I uh, like but the this, cinema too much. Yeah, three. I think three episodes is good. Two, two or three. This will make a good trilogy. It's however, so, it's so annoying how long the Ice House is that we we watched the Ice House, and it's like three and a half hours because they did it in two parts. And you want it's none BBC, of it, and it's and it is a ninety minute story at best. <laughs> and this they cram it into two hours. The so Ice House is a single episode of SVU at most. But it's and but th- and this has all these actors in it and it's just and it's clean and tight in two hours. So yeah, it's you know yeah it's it's like a glass of champagne the whole time. Um, but I think yeah, more the bumbling police officers maybe. You know Daniel Craig's voice, it's a voice we haven't heard before. We haven't heard the accent before, but he's got like a kind of gravelly tone to his voice that we haven't heard before as well. Maybe it's a function of being a little bit older. He's now able to do it. But there's a there's a kind of there's a, a crunchiness to the bottom of his voice that is that is new and that's exciting. On February 6, twenty twenty, Lionsgate announced that a sequel had been greenlit. Mm-hmm. This thoroughly excites me. Yeah, that's the future of the podcast right there. And I, for one, hope they find a way to shoehorn Anna de Armas into it really artificially. I wouldn't. It's do her it. Murder. Do it. 
Yeah, she murder. dies at the beginning. <laughs> Benoit's call. No, she comes in for the third one. That she comes be. back for the threequel. But naming conventions. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon? What should it be called? Yeah. So pick. Oh, let's call it anything. It. So this one took place in sort of like a damp New England sort of area. Yeah. With rich people where riders would live, that sort of stuff. Second one takes place more Arizona area. Or like Florida or Miami. I want Benoit Blanc like on a sun lounger. Someone somewhere Com- south, but he's wearing umbrella- a suit, a linen suit. This umbrella time. drink. He would, he would. Little round sunglasses. So he's like having a <gasps> good time. It's on one of the islands. Yeah, bringing kind of like a travelogue aspect mm. to it. He goes to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bahamas would be good. Bahamas, Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc, Bahamas. But murder mystery. Two bodies wash up ashore. Benoit Blanc is on holiday in the Bahamas. Oh! And then... Nah, that's too much like Poirot. Just make... Well, no, that's the thing. In the setup, you make it very much like Poirot or Christie. Yeah. But then we need to figure out what genre does it become halfway through that it then comes back from. The body's wash. I think the second one, the next one could be a, more about the fact that he is becoming more famous. So the bodies wash up on the beach. He either finds them or is nearby, but that was all set up for him to find them. So oh, that so blah, somebody's blah, blah, brought blah, him blah. into it. <sighs> yeah. So because they know that when he investigates oh. it, it will draw press attention to the story. So he's having to second guess himself the whole time. I think villain for the second one needs to be a serial killer, not just a. Murder that of passion be, of some kind. Yeah, that'd be a good escalation. Yeah. Actually, and no. And that'd be a different escalation, though. Actually, that would be a good... No, that'd be a good third one. Because in the third one, there's a serial killer who chooses Benoit Blanc as his nemesis. So now it's like his Moriarty comes into the picture. Well, you have to introduce your Moriarty in the second film, though. Maybe, but, but at the end, don't have him be the main antagonist. Have him be a because character for your film. All of these things, once they become a franchise, they rush towards making everything about the main character. But the way it has legs and the way it's fun is we get to just go with the main character into these weird and kooky situations. But if you have your Moriarty character just be a an, an a, like a helping hand in the second film, just be in the location, yeah, but another distant. detective of some kind, maybe like a different sort of play on what Benoit Blanc is. So it's a different person who then is in the third film revealed to be the big villain. But for the second movie, we just think he's a secondary character that's been added in. Okay, yep. That'd be cool. Because then no one will suspect anything, even though it's Andrew Scott the whole time. (laughs) No one would suspect anything, but it's Ben Whishaw. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ben Whishaw would make a great detective. When he arrives, because, at, and when he arrives at the Bahamas, the local police officer who he's working with, Jeffrey Wright, <laughs> wearing his Felix Leiter costume from all the Bond movies, playing Felix Leiter. Yeah, he meets up with Felix Leiter. Everybody else is a Bond character. He's just Ben. This Blanc is now. this is your local contact, Frankie Lighthouse, and he's going to be helping you out. No, I'm excited for sequels, and I want them now. Yeah, I think it's. It's going this to be, is it's, one. It's also a new movie that's getting a sequel. Hmm. Very rarely lately do we get new movies. That's a, yeah, that's the other thing that was kind of refreshing about this. New movies that this. aren't horror films. Yeah, we get a lot of new horror films all the time. They're all plays on other horror films, but they come. Well, it's the first good who done it in about thirty years, and is the first, yeah one of the first only movies that's like a, a 
completely fresh and original product that everyone had a great time at. So, but it's going to be interesting because Ryan Johnson, I'm pretty sure he had the idea for this by like the mid 2000s. So it's been germinating and gestating for 15 years before it finally got to screen. And so he's going to have a real, you know, difficult second album problem of how do you pump another one out within two, three, four years at the most. In January 2020, Johnson confirmed that he was writing the sequel and he already had an idea for the new film. Yes. When this one was released. But does he, though? I trust him. Like, something will come out and it probably won't be terrible, but it's unlikely it will be as good as this, and we know this is someone who can make last jedi level mistakes <laughs> oh, imagine if he did that for, imagine for his he, own sequel <laughs> imagine if he last jedi's himself again don't bring we'll t- daniel's finally broken the daniel craig curse here <laughs> he's been in a film and he's, he's starting a franchise after trying so many times if ryan johnson ryan johnson's him we'll have to do something we'll have to start like a sort of low-key like well-meaning but also sort of quite vicious hate mail campaign was this nominated for any academy awards i think for screenplay from memory could have been best picture and i think that was it you know probably could have been but but you're not going to get anywhere near best picture with just a random whodunit february 9 2020 if this movie came out this year best picture hands down yeah true but you're not getting anywhere near but it's, it's not about slavery or anything so yeah, but fuck just a, the Academy. Just a bunch of... Fuck them. No, but you're asking the Academy to do this. So <laughs> <I know>. you can't. <laughs> it's interesting because I think this would be seen as oh, it's just a bunch of rich rich white people having rich white people problems, but it does have a real... It's a got real a heart and a, thematic, and a soul to it. Yeah, thematic undertone about, you know, real capital I issues. About... Issues. This, the issues are there. The issues are but, there. And you know, and as someone who is normally moaning that films should, you know, harp on their issues more and make <laughs> a bigger deal about bit about you know the the deep themes and whatever, this touches on its themes in a re- with a really light touch, and I think it really pays off for it. it. Does. Good film. Good film. Where you want to rank it, bruv? Okay. Well, we've ranked a few of these now. We've now... You know what I reckon you should do for this one? What? Score it out of 10? No, we should oh. just um, just decide that it goes at the top. Hang on. Nope. Hang on now. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first episode, <laughs> as it may be because there's lots of Knives Out fans out there, we should explain that we don't score Daniel Craig's performances, his movies, his TV shows, his short films, his documentaries out of 10 or out of 5 that would be stupid that would be that would be simple it would be also illogical it would be way too logical uh, that's illogical. not what we're about here on craigslist we want to create an overall ranking of all daniel craig's films and tv shows from best to worst because who says you cuz you know sure some of his films are about the holocaust and some of them are about just him having sex with different people Let's compare those and say which one is better overall. And so this, turning to the ranking now, this is the 51st thing going on to the ranking. <laughs> Not the last. There is more TV stuff to go. We're pretty near the top here, aren't we? I reckon start Do reading you... out with what number one is. Oh, no, start at number I'm gonna, three. I'm, oh, I was going to start at five. Okay, start at five. For the audience, start at five. Yeah, the audience, the audience can't see this ranking. 
So our top five currently. Number five, Road to Perdition. This is better. Number four, Skyfall. This is also better. Number three, and think about it, Our Friends in the North. This is also better. Number two, Munich. I think this is better. Number one, Casino Royale. This is a question for Sam. I think Knives Out is a better movie than Casino Royale. This, I'm very unsettled by this. Casino Royale is like your favorite movie. It's not my favorite movie. But it's like. It's like, but it's real good. But I feel as though Knives Out is a better movie. So we, okay, all right. And I I worry about this. We are flat out in a conversation right now about whether this is number one or number two. Yes. Of all Daniel Craig's movies. Yes. Okay. There's, There's no doubt it's one or the other. It's great, Craig. It's great, Craig. It's a great story. Yep. It's great acting by everyone all around. It's a well-made movie. Yep. There are no negatives to it. I feel like most of that can be said about Casino Royale. It can. Yeah. And we said most of that about Casino Royale. I think Casino Royale... And Casino Royale... I think Casino Royale did more for Daniel Craig. Yeah, but I don't want to factor that into it so much. Like I, I, I factor in what it took to make the film a bit like a scenario does amazing action sequences does you know which is another level of artistry and and you know this film keeps you entertained without having to have amazing action sequences this film does its version of action sequences is quick cuts entertaining Mm. quick cuts between different scenes that still pull your story along and you get your scarics of let me hit you with this i feel a lot more from casino royale yeah, than I, I feel from Knives Out. Yeah, I get you. Knives Out is a glass of sparkling wine. Casino Royale... Is a whiskey. Yeah, it's an old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Or it's a Vesper Martini that you sip slowly, you know... At, well, a Vesper when you, Martini, when you go, you'll feel more than anything else, because if anyone's ever drank one of those, that's too much alcohol. You don't need that amount of alcohol. You did. If, I, if, if I've made it for you, <laughs> then you definitely feel it. You know, so, so you reckon Casino Royale remains number one? So what, like... Because I'm I okay think, if it does. I think I need to leave Casino Royale. Because like, part of me was worried that this would be number one. I can't think of... Like, it's really, really good. Yes. But but I th- we everyone is, like, weirdly really surprised at how good it is. <laughs> and I think that but generates a lot of energy. But surprised at how good Casino Royale was because it's such yeah. a change... But what I think was before. the surprise of Casino Royale feels like a sort of more nourishing surprise. I think coming from where you came from and then getting Casino Royale is uh, it's a gift. Knives Out feels like a, a sl- an amazing slice of cheesecake you didn't know you were going to get. Yeah. But Casino Royale is like a roast dinner. <laughs> like you are getting meat and vegetables out of Casino Royale. Yeah. No, I'm happy for it to be number yeah. two. Happy for number two. It's close, though. It's very close. They're both fantastic. And, we and they are quite clearly the best two films he's ever been in thus far. Going to zoom out slightly. Mm. Munich is... Like, like the, the Craig doesn't compare at all. We get hardly any Craig in Munich, yeah. so that has to be acknowledged. But taking the Craig out of it... I still Munich feel as though film. these are better because Munich does so much... Um meandering and was in that last half hour if you cut that last half hour off of munich i think it gets much more competitive but if if we have to have that in there then 
And again, kind of non-comparable. <laughs> as yeah, is the very much non-comparable. As is the problem with our <laughs> ranking system here. I'm happy for this to be number two, man. Do yeah, it. I think it's got to be, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think, and the, what makes me feel the best about that is that it is also a really strong, complex, original performance from Daniel Craig. It is. It's not just a brilliant movie that Daniel Craig happened to be in. How good Daniel Craig in it is in it is a big part of what makes it so good as well. Yes, so I think very that's why much we can so. feel good about this. Knives Out, number fucking two, bruh. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. That's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. dude. That's that crazy. See? That's some good. That's a nugget of flam right there. Ah, the, the, <laughs> is it nugget of flam? That's a nugget of flam right there. She says nugget. This whole this whole film. She, an American character, says the word nugget, yeah. a nugget of flam. This whole this whole film is a delightful nugget of flam. It is. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you for listening. We've got no more theatrically released movies until Bond. Now, yep. but obviously things aren't over. Things We're going to talk about some TV stuff. Things are never over. I've. Realize this, listening to some of my, update. I was say, listening to some of my political podcasts post-election, people already talking about how if the Democrats win this, it's a narrow win. We've got to protect it. We've got to start thinking about the midterms in two years' time. Oh, There's God. absolutely no, you know, like Joe Biden is like probably going to die. There's no guarantee that any safety we generate through this election is <laughs> preservable at all. The wheel turns, and as the wheel, and in that spirit, we still have to watch Copenhagen, and Archangel, two more TV movies, and then a few more other TV episodes. We're going to talk about the different uh, adverts Daniel Craig was in, the episodes of Saturday Night Live, and I'll have my updated, definitive Daniel Craig biography to probably read some beautiful excerpts from. So we'll put this up from put this up on Patreon. Might put one of those up here on the uh, free feed, just so everyone gets to sign off, and then we'll enter our Christmas break period. The Christmas break reprieve. Yeah, hmm. before whatever happens happens. Before we do, the quite possibly best Daniel Craig movie comes out. You no. know, I I hold Hong. I, I, I hold. Take another run at that. I hold strong hopes mm-hmm. for No Time to Die. I am really hoping for top five. Me too. That's all I'm... If it's top five, I will be satisfied. If it's top ten... I'm glad that... Can we... We're doing several episodes, though. I want to do... I want to do a hot take episode where we just rank it first because we're so fucking excited. Yeah, yeah. No no time to die. Well, we've got pre-game episode (laughs) with thoughts and predictions. They won't won't be that long. This might be one. We'll do... this Because this is how we did Star Wars. We do pre-game chat... (laughs) And then we'll do hot take. Okay. And then we'll do cold take a couple of weeks later. We watch it a couple of times between then. Yeah. Keen, hella keen, and it's got it, it has is on track to look. It has to be top okay. ten. Because if it's not top ten, that means it's below Tintin. <laughs> <laughs> and enduring love. Still surprised Tintin is so low on the list. But there are fifty-one and, things on that. And list. I'm very intrigued to see. You know, obviously, COVID casts a shadow over everything, but what Craig's you know, next 10 years is going to be, whether we're going to get some kind of post-Bond Craig-conaissance. 
Because, you know, Logan Lucky, Knives Out, these are all good moves. But we don't know what he's going to settle into next, you know? Like he hasn't found, we don't know what his groove is. Because he never really, he hasn't had strong grooves. Like he's he's had things we can identify by looking at everything, but they've not, they're not comfortable acting grooves. And I I'd also, I don't, he's not looking for that. He doesn't want a groove, but. I want Daniel Craig in a massive sprawling space opera. Not Star Wars, not Dune, something new. I don't know if I can see him in space. I can. But it, it'd be a Dune type thing. But his spacesuit, for some reason, is shirtless. Do you want him in The Mandalorian? No. Yes, you do. You, I said yes just then. No, there no was Daniel that, Craig wouldn't fit The Mandalorian. Well, Daniel Craig would fit the new Star Wars trilogy that Ryan Johnson's about to direct. Because it's set in the high... It Well, the next maybe. Star Wars trilogy is supposed to be set in like the High Republic, so pre-everything yeah. by several hundred years. So when everything is fresh and new and awesome... Daniel Craig. I find it hard seeing him in in fantasy. And Keanu Reeves as Darth Revan. Oh, I'm so excited for No Time to Die. But we have to wait for so long. It's going to be legend. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, thank you to... <laughs> well, we can't say that till it comes out. Dairy. No, when it comes out, that's what we should. Okay. You're teared up now. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Thank and you. We will it. see you soon. Yeah, thank you. I've forgotten to say this the last couple of times. Thank you to Mild Wild for the music. Oh, I love Mild Wild. And thank you to Ryan Sim for our artwork. Yeah, Ryan. Check out his Instagram if you want some artwork. Yeah. He also want... does a little bit of stand up. Yeah. So live around here and go to stand up nights. Yeah. Um, you don't even know where they are like a week ahead of time because it's all pretty up in the air still. Um, but um, but next year, hopefully. But, but you know, if you're in, if you if you really want it, you'll seek it out. You know. So if you're not seeing, if you're not seeing it, then it's only yourself to blame. That's why we're not as famous as we could be, Isaac. Because we blame other people for yeah, that. Because the public aren't trying hard enough to do it for us. And I'm, I try not to take it personally, but frankly, as the years go by, I'm starting to wonder whether they even want us to be famous. Like, what did we do wrong? You know? I mean, Didn't we deserve to, zombies, we deserve to be famous. It was probably not writing more musicals. Probably that. Yeah. Yeah. You never know what the decision is, do you, that, that. turns you down the path to obscurity. <laughs> And ours was probably not writing multiple hit musicals. That's probably it. Found to be taking that different path. <laughs> well, there's a lesson in there for all of us. We'll talk to you soon, guys. Be safe out there. Good luck. Tell your mama said hi. Bye. comes up I think about you the coffee cup I think about you I want you so it's like I'm losing my mind 
I think about you. I talk to friends. I think about you. And do they know it's like I'm losing my mind? All afternoon, doing every little chore, the thought of you. I stand in the middle of the floor, not going left, not going right. I dim the lights and think about you, spend sleepless nights to think about you. You said you loved me, or were you just being kind? Or am I losing my mind? All afternoon, doing every little chore, the thought of you. Mom.